This is Trading Views from the Need to Know podcast with the Wilson Center. We want to tell you the story of trade beyond the headlines. This is what you need to know about trade today, from the local to the global. We have an additional 200. They are going to be what, what's, to me, very important. Number one, they're going to be spending much more than $200 billion over the next two years, including up to $50 billion just on agriculture alone. And some of the numbers that I wrote down, uh, on manufacturing, they'll be spending $75 billion. They'll be putting into our country, okay? They're going to be putting into our country $75 billion on manufacturing, $50 billion worth of energy. So that's great for our energy people. We're the number one in the world now. We weren't. We're now the number one energy group in the world. We're bigger than Saudi Arabia, and we're bigger than Russia. We're bigger than everybody. And for those people- Welcome back to the Need to Know podcast, and to a series, or a podcast within a podcast, called Trading Views. This week saw the signing of phase one of the trade deal with China that we've been talking about for the last couple episodes. It's almost like we planned this or something. If you haven't already, take a listen to the other two episodes that are labeled Trading Views. The first takes an on-the-ground look at trade from two CEOs in Tennessee. Episode two goes over phase one with some of our Asia experts here at the Wilson Center. And today, we're going to talk to a couple of farmers. Because agriculture factors huge in phase one, with China being on the hook to purchase billions in goods under this new agreement, and much of it coming from agricultural products. But as we'll see in this episode, the market and the agricultural community will wait and see if the agreement bears fruit, so to speak. Today, we'll talk to two farmers from Nebraska. They joined me via Skype, and I asked them what effects they're seeing on the ground from this trade war with China. Certainly, prices have softened. Um, You know, China was about 60% of our export market, which accounted to, you know, for about 25% of our entire soybean market, you know, so 25% of the soybeans that we grew in the United States in, say, 2017, 2016, went to China. That dropped down to almost nothing in 2018, um, coupled with a a great, you know, really um, high production, record production. And uh, yeah, so prices uh, decreased significantly. That's Clay Govier from central Nebraska. He's a fifth-generation farmer, focusing mostly on corn and soybeans, and he also sits on the Nebraska Soybean Board. You know, I I think that there's a general feeling that China um, hasn't been playing fair for quite some time, even though they have bought a lot of soybeans from us. And and it's, I think, overall probably been a good thing for our market. It's it's still, uh, there's still some uh, unhappiness there. Farmers would probably tell you that they haven't followed the rules like we would expect. They might indicate that they're going to buy some soybeans and then the soybeans show up and they um, say reject it somehow. And then, you know, that uh, that can impact, you know, not only the price of the soybeans on that barge, but also, you know, the the um, the market in general. When Clay mentioned China rejecting shipments of soybeans in the past, it brought back to my mind something that Kissinger Institute director Robert Daly said in an interview that I ended up leaving on the cutting room floor from a previous episode. 
Here he is explaining something about the history of the U.S.-China trade relationship. It's been the pattern uh, under President Obama, Bush, going back further, that whenever we've had a major spike in concern over uh, things like IPR or other aspects of China's openness, or when there have been frictions in the trade relationship, China would famously send buying missions to the United States. And they would order more Boeings, more soybeans, more wheat. Uh, They would come with open checkbooks or at least with a lot of MOUs and make promises to buy more. And they would spread these promises around the country. Now, only about 50% at most of a lot of these promises would actually materialize, and they kept making the same promises and the same purchases again and again to get over short-term crises. That goes a long way to explaining some of the skepticism that remains in the agricultural community about this deal. Signing the phase one trade deal is definitely welcomed by the farming community here, and I would say across the nation. I think farmers are getting kind of tired of, of the trade war and the uh, uncertainty that it's creating. So it's it's definitely welcomed. We are really interested to see what the details of this program are. I would say cautiously optimistic is right. Until we see soybeans loaded out and sent to China and they accept them. And then there's the question that Robert Daly posed in the last episode as to whether or not the phase one agreement is more than China could ever buy or that America could produce to meet the billions that have been suggested? Well, the $40 billion, I mean, if, if they're spreading that out across, you know, all agricultural products, it's still, it is hard to believe um, just because of, of where we have been in the past. And, and, uh, and, and then thinking about our other trading partners, are we going to stop selling soybeans to another country because China's willing to buy them all. So, like, you know, if they would buy $40 billion worth of ag products, how is that distorting the markets? And how is that uh, impacting our other trading partners who, you know, we're responsible for? So, you know, I guess personally, if we get halfway there, I'm going to be pretty happy. All that Clay has told us is very similar to what another Nebraska farmer told me. Andy Jobman is a farmer in central Nebraska, an agronomist working in crop consulting and precision agriculture, and serves as the vice president of the Nebraska Corn Growers Association. I think a lot of it is a wait and see. You know, we've been so close to signing this deal, you know, how many times over the last, you know, six, eight months, and it's just never happened. And now that we finally got it, you know, I think there's still a lot of skepticism about, you know, how how much is China actually going to follow through on what they've signed to um, and how soon. That's the other thing. You know, we've, they've got some time to to actually make purchases um, and I think, and, you know, some people are arguing that the markets, uh, the commodity markets have already built in um, the anticipation of this, this trade deal. You know, we have, you know, had some rallies in, in the soybean and corn market over the last month and a half. We're off our December lows. Um, and so some people are saying, hey, uh, we've already built in this, this pricing opportunity. Um, you know, why didn't you take advantage of it? Um, you know, and so we're seeing a little bit of a of a cooling off in the markets, you know, today and, and last, uh, last night as well, uh, you know, the day after they signed the deal. But I think a lot of it is just wait and see. We're, we're just, it's just such a complicated situation. Um, signing a piece of paper doesn't necessarily poof, make everything perfect again. In 2018, the Trump administration moved to help shore up the agriculture market and shield farmers from heavy losses due to the trade war with the market facilitation program 
which added an additional payment on top of the market price for commodities that were facing retaliatory tariffs from China. This came as a welcome aid to farmers who have seen soybean prices in particular fall from a high of about $16 a bushel in 2012 to about $7 a bushel in 2019. That, coupled with devastating flooding in some parts of the country and a generally wet year which made planting and growing difficult, farmers were already facing a lot of market forces, even before the trade war situation was thrown into the mix. Here's Andy Jobman again. By and large, you know, we'd rather have the markets. You know, we're way better off with the markets. Um, That's what we wanted. We want this trade deal done. Um, The payments help. You know, they're just a band-aid. They're just a crutch. You know, they're just a bridge over this this troubled water, you know, so to speak. And so U.S. farmers would much rather have a functioning market to market their 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 products. And we have had some marketing opportunities, don't get me wrong. Um, and it has forced us to really, you know, tighten, tighten your belt on your operations expenditures. Um, you know, maybe you're not not purchasing that tractor that you otherwise would have made an upgrade on, you know, you're stretching things a little bit farther um, and uh, really, really just tightening your books, trying to get through this hard time. And we'll hear from Clay Govier again. Well, the way it was structured in 2018 um, and and 2018 being a really uh, good production year, you know, we actually were pretty profitable in 2018, even though we basically lost our export market. Um, you know, subsidies were, we received a dollar 65 per bushel, um, of soybeans and it was based on your production. So, you know, for every bushel that you grew, you would receive another dollar 65, um, from the USD, uh, USDA through the, uh, MFP payment, um, the market facilitation program, um, that, uh, that they set up. So, Honestly, I would say that 2018 on our farm specifically, and I can't speak for everyone, but we had really good yields, so it it actually paid fairly well. Um, I believe that most farmers, I mean, there was a, a tagline that a lot of farmers used that uh, is trade, not aid. You know, we would rather have a a, a marketplace to to sell our beans rather than um you know just have to store them or or you know take a low price and then and then get uh get these subs additional subsidies from the government and just like i did down in tennessee i asked both clay and andy their perceptions of what the agriculture community was feeling about this trade war we'll hear from clay first and then from andy you know generally i'd say that farmers can be kind of self-sacrificing so they're willing to take the short-term beating um you know financially in order you know for the for the potential of some long-term uh payoff or or even the playing field a little bit and you know i mean farmers they're they're aware of the intellectual property theft and some of the other things that are a piece of this trade war it's not just you know they, they see a bigger picture than than just yeah soybean prices are bad right now because of this um, but more and more, uh, you I, I do hear that, uh, farmers are starting to get tired of it. And so they're, they're really welcoming this phase one trade deal because it, you know, should directly impact them. But, uh, but yeah, I think just, you know, again, going back to the uncertainty that it's created in the marketplace, I think farmers are just, you know, 
getting kind of tired of it. I think by and large, agriculture was 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 all in. Like, yeah, we're willing to you know, willing to you know, expose ourselves to a little bit of risk to you know some maybe some loss of some markets um, temporarily. But you know, we all understood China. You know, we kind of needed to rein China in to be a little bit more of a fair player um, on the world trade stage. And if in the end that means that we get, you know, better trade deals and, and more of our products into China, then that's that's a huge win for agriculture. Um, we understood that. Um, I think where agriculture is, has started to second guess how well this whole process has gone um, is just how long it's taken. And all of this begs the question, what happens to the agriculture market now that we've returned to some level of stasis on our trade relationship with China? Both Andy and Clay told me that they have seen markets adjust to the realities of the trade war. Exports increasing from South America, for example, and more investment from China and other countries' infrastructure to help create more supply. That stuff doesn't just disappear overnight. You know, I, I think if we can really rein China in on some of this, you know, intellectual uh, property rights that, you know, they haven't been following those rules and regs on world trade. You know, if we can get them to toe the line a little bit better on that. I think that's just going to make everybody a lot happier. Um, you know, world trade is kind of a zero sum game. You know, if they're not buying soybeans from us, they're going to buy from someone else. And um, I think it's really important that we get them back to the table with us and the, the quicker, the better, um, you know, South American crops are going to start coming out, you know, pretty soon. China's done a tremendous amount of investing in infrastructure worldwide um, to uh, diversify their portfolio of where they're purchasing ag crops. And so, you know, you make someone mad that you're doing business with, it's really hard to get them to come back to the table and, and back to even the original terms you were at before. And so perfect world is that we get, we get some of their business back. Um, they get African swine fever, you know, under control. Um, that's a really complicated issue that could be years, you know, in, in resolution. Um, but, you know, the more we can have free trade with China and all of our partners, uh, the better. Um, everyone just ends up at a better position. That was Andy Jobman. And here's Clay Govier again. You know, China, they have a lot of, say, emissions um, standards that they're trying to hit in their cities. So we could export them a lot of ethanol. And I think there there is definitely a story to be had there. You know, they've obviously had a lot of problems. They've killed at least half of their, the you know, swine um, population due to uh, the African swine fever. So, you know, there's all sorts of animal protein, you know, that we could ship to them, whether it's, you know, uh, pork, poultry, or, or beef. So, I mean, there's, there's so much potential if we could get rid of these tariffs um, that, uh, you know, so I, I think there's, there's areas that, um, products that we really historically haven't shipped to China in in great amounts that we we could just because of you know the the various uh, other factors that they're dealing with over there. I I read reports about China investing in the infrastructure in Brazil and Argentina as far as their port loadout facilities and rail and in the past that has been our big edge from a United States American farmer is our infrastructure is just so much better than South America's. So we can get soybeans to them more cheaply from a freight perspective. You know, now 
if uh, if China is investing in um, in South American infrastructure, we're going to lose that edge. And you know, and now Brazil, I think if they didn't last year, they will this year overtake us as um, producing more soybeans, uh, being the global leader in soybean production. So, you know, South America can outproduce us significantly. And then we have the strong U.S. dollar right now. So from a currency perspective, we're just not competitive. So there's a lot there's a lot of factors besides this, besides a 25 percent tariff that are not positive for the U.S. farmer. Short term, I think we could probably get a lot of that market share back um, just because we're sitting on a massive carryout of soybeans and, you know, we need to get rid of them. But uh, the long term, I don't know what it's going to do to the soybean market in the United States. I really think that uh, we're we're uh, inflicting some long term wounds that that uh, we are going to have to live with for a long time. And as if I was gleaning in the field of agricultural policy, Clay left me this little historical kernel to pick up during our interview, which I'm sure some of our audience may want to read about in more depth. You know, I, I talk to old, old-timer old farmers, and uh, they're still upset about the trade embargo that uh, President Carter dealt with, what, 30, 40 years ago? Ah, see? Now history can be useful and relevant, right? What Clay is talking about there is the 1980 Carter administration response to the USSR's invasion of Afghanistan, which was an embargo on Soviet grain. We still have farmers today talking about that because the U.S. lost a large market for their grain and the USSR found other countries to supply it. What are the possibilities that that will be the case here with China? Time will tell. And speaking of history. For those of you who really want to nerd out and get some quick details of trade history, you will enjoy our next episode, which is a bonus history episode. This will give you a historical look at U.S. trade policy that helps us understand how we arrived at the positions we now take on trade. And it will help us understand how we got NAFTA and what we can see under a new USMCA. What an exciting month to be talking about trade, right? This episode was produced and edited by me, Aaron Jones. The music was also composed by me. Thank you to Andy Jobman and Clay Govier for their time in giving interviews, and to Terry Haney from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln for his help in connecting us with them. Also to the Asia experts here at the Wilson Center, special thanks to John Tyler, Sharona Harris, and Jared Thompson for their support in the Wilson Center studio, and to Linda Roth for her endless support of this project. Paige Rotunda designed our logo, Anya Prusa voiced our introduction, and Ashley Mira gave research assistance. And of course, thank you for listening, because if a podcast is produced without listeners, does it really make a sound? Don't forget you can email us at needtoknow at wilsoncenter.org. And until next time, this is the Need to Know Podcast.